chapter number 10 in the Gospel of Mark. And if you don't have a Bible, there is one under a chair in front of you, and you could grab one of those, and in the back portion of that, turn to page 35, and you would find yourself in the Gospel of Mark at chapter number 10. We, last week, launched our new series that we have entitled Pass It On, when we're talking about lighting the way for the next generation. And if you were here last week, you know that we said at Wildwood that we really believe that we are on a mission from God. And that mission that we believe He has given to us is to shine as light in our homes and in our community and in the world. And one of the good things that we did last week is we had Lyle Cunningham here, who was the first full-time pastor at Wildwood, was to take some time for a look back. And then we began to look forward. And we're going to continue to look forward today. But I just re might remind you, if you were here last week, about Lyle when he, when he was sharing, when he came to Wildwood, when it was nothing more than a house church in 1974. And he said at that very first gathering, when he was a brand new pastor, there were 15 people in the living room, the, the worship center, if you would, of Wildwood. And I was just thinking about that this week, and I thought, you know, God has done some awesome things. In 1974, you had 15 people in a living room. We've sent six times that number in a recent summer out on summer missions projects. God has been at work from what was started way back in 1974, and actually the church began before that. It was cool to think about, and then it was cool to begin to think about what more does God want to do around here and through this body of believers at Wildwood. You know, the last thing we want to do is to coast, to simply become complacent. That's the last thing we want to do. And it would be easy to do that. I mean, we could sit around and go, <laughs> 50 people in the living room, 1974. We sent out six times that many people on summer missionary projects and just coast from there. But that wouldn't be right because I believe that God wants to do more. And the reason why we don't want to get complacent and we don't want to coast is because there are people in our community who are entering into eternity every day and every week. I've shared with you before, I always read the obituaries in the newspaper. Now, there are several reasons why I do that, but one of the reasons why is it's a reminder to me every day that there are people who live in this community, some of them near you, who are entering into eternity. And uh, we are very excited about the Pass It On initiative, lighting the way for the next generation as we look to developing a children's ministry building to continue to grow the ministry at Wildwood. And um, we hope that you got a hold of one of these brochures if you're on our mailing list that you did. There are more of these along with the prayer guides out on the table in the gathering hall. So if you haven't received one, we do want you to get a hold of one. But one of the things it says in, in that little brochure that you received, and actually it's not such a little brochure, but it is a neat brochure, is that in our county here, Cleveland County, there are 230,000 people. Nearly a quarter of a million people live in our county. And, and by the way, we do draw people from all over Cleveland County who are involved here at Wildwood. 
So you have nearly a quarter of a million people in our county. Does that mean that we, there's no ministry for us? I mean, we've done all we can do? No. I mean, we've got a lot of people yet to reach in this area. But what's interesting about that 230,000 people is, is that statistics tell us that 84% of those people are under the age of 54. Now that tells us that there are people who have families and have children. And when you look at that 230,000, there are a lot of children there. And part of our dream, part of our passion that we want to do is that we would like to double the ministry to children that we have currently. We have on Sunday mornings about 200, or 200 kids. On Wednesday nights we have about 150 kids. And we would like to have the ability to double that to minister to 400 potentially on Sunday morning and, and even 400 on Wednesday night. And what we said we were going to do this week as we began to unpack this vision a little bit of passing it on is we wanted to share with you this morning more of the passion behind the vision. And uh, Thomas Rainier said this. He said that 90% of all people who accept Christ do so before 20 years of age. What a statistic. Think about that for a moment. 20% of all people who trust in Christ as Savior do so before 20 years of age. What I want to talk about this morning is a key principle that we need to keep in focus, and that is children are wet cement. They are wet cement. You know what it's like when you have wet cement? It's very easy to make an impression when cement is wet. And children are wet cement. Now here's what I think happens a lot of times in, in, in church environments. is I think we lose sight of the strategic nature of that. It's very easy to do, especially as we become grown-ups and we're functioning in the grown-up world. We lose contact with the fact that children are wet cement. If you have your Bibles open to Mark chapter 10, I'd like to read verses 13 to 16, invite you to follow along in your Bible as I read this very interesting event that happens in a very strategic chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Notice verse 13 says, and they were bringing children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter at all. And Jesus took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying hands on them. Now, that's a, a story that may be familiar to many of us, but it's intriguing to me where it appears. And so if we were just going to zoom back for a moment and look at chapter 10, look at what's going on around here. There's some very significant things being discussed. For example, in the first 12 verses of Mark chapter 10, Jesus is addressing the issue of marriage and divorce which was a huge controversy in his day and is actually also a controversy in our time. And then in verses 17 to 27, he addresses a very pivotal concept, and that is, who is it that can inherit eternal life? 
And he addresses that subject matter. And then in verses 32 and following of of, uh, Mark chapter 10, we see Jesus beginning to unpack the fact that he's going to die. He's communicating this with the disciples, that he's going to be arrested and he's going to be tried and he's going to die. And I find it fascinating that with all of that traffic and deep theological issues and very pivotal things that we have planted in the middle of that, a little paragraph, verses 13 to 16. And it's almost like it doesn't fit in with the rest of this stuff, but the reality is, oh yes, it does, because it is just as strategic and just as important as those other things. So in the midst of all of that, we, we learn this little scenario was happening, and it says, and they were bringing children to Jesus. Now, some of your translations may word it differently, but who are the they? Who are the they who were bringing children to Jesus? Well, it was mothers, and it was fathers, and it was grandparents, and it was older brothers and sisters. And so they're bringing the the children to Jesus, but what happens here is fascinating to me. But the disciples rebuked them. The disciples go, wait a minute, time out here now. I mean, listen, come on, Jesus is busy. He doesn't really have time to talk to everyone. He can't meet with everyone. He can't deal with everyone. We need to limit the people who interact with Jesus down to the important people. And uh, listen, when you, when you, when you look at, at children, I mean, um, the children aren't going to be the ones who are going to go out and bring other people to Jesus. The, the children don't have resources to help to fund our itinerant ministry that we're moving around. I mean, we need to have important people meeting with Jesus. And uh, so we really don't need all these children here at all. We need to limit it down. There, there's more important things that Jesus needs to do than to spend time with, uh, with little children. I mean, come on. And I can almost use my imagination to see how the disciples are handling this. You know, as all these children are being brought, and they're going, oh, wait a minute, time out. Get those strollers out of here. You know how they just sort of block paths? We don't need any strollers in here at all. In fact, I'm a little tired of tripping over some of these toys that they're bringing. We don't need this. I mean, there's important people walking here to see Jesus. I mean, let some important people over here to see Jesus. And what is really interesting to me is verse 14. It's kind of fun to climb into the text here and try to just, I mean, it says, but when Jesus saw this, I mean, I'm just picturing him, like, watching the disciples do this. And then it says, he was indignant. It's a very, very strongly worded term. It means he was strongly angered. He was deeply displeased. If I could use one word to translate the word, it would be the word irate. Jesus gets irate. He's going, stop all of this. Stop it now. And he reprimands them. He says, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. In the original, it's really saying this, stop it now, guys. Stop it right now. Don't turn the children away. 
For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these, and truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter at all. Now, Jesus was saying a lot here, but I think part of what Jesus was saying to the disciples is you don't get it, guys. Children are wet cement. And I know we've all been around, uh, maybe a patio being poured or a sidewalk being poured. And you know what it's like when there's wet cement. You know, it's very, it's very moldable. It's easy to make an impression or a mark. Just think about wet cement and how you can sign your name in it, you know, and you can can make certain kind of references or you could, could even put your hands in there and you can make an impression. That's what wet cement is like. It's easy to make an impression or a mark in wet cement. As cement becomes older, it becomes harder, right? And here's what's really interesting about children. Because children are wet cement, and if you ever work with children, or you have your own children, I'm here to tell you this, this is the truth. You will leave a mark. You will leave a mark with kids because children are wet cement. You know, I have all of my children are grown up now. And every once in a while, I, I think about the fact that I, that I leave the right marks on them when they were wet cement. Children are wet cement. And that's why when we, when we hear the statistic that 90% of people trust in Christ as Savior before the age of 20, we need, to, we need to be alert to something here that's very strategic. And again, I think the church in general can lose sight of that. I want to do a little informal survey. You look like you're up for an informal survey, all right? You'll still look like you're awake and you're with me. Here's what I want us to do. If you trusted Christ as your Savior before the age of 13, I would like you to stand up right now and remain standing, okay? If you trusted Christ before the age of 13, stand up and remain standing, all right? Just kind of look around. Look around at the percentage we have. Now, while you remain standing, if you trusted Christ before the age of 20, will you also stand up and remain standing? So, if you trusted Christ before the age of 20, you should be standing right now. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look around, and obviously some of us trusted Christ past the age of 20. We're extremely excited that you did. But doesn't this prove something about the statistic? 90%. When I look around here, I'm seeing what is, to me, at least 90% of us are standing right now. Okay, you may, you may have a seat. What does that tell us? Children are wet cement. 90% before the age of 20. I did a little, uh, another additional informal, informal survey, if I can say it properly this morning. And then as I went to our pastoral staff and I asked our pastoral staff, when did you come to trust in Christ as Savior? And, and I counted eight staff, including uh, Tim Ferguson, who is our interim college director, and also uh, Jeremy Horton, who is going to be our college pastor. So we've got eight pastors. And I went around and said, when did you trust Christ? And I want to just simply give you the ages of our pastoral staff. 
Jason, who is our, our college, or rather our children's ministry director, trusted Christ at the age of six. John Abernathy, who is our family pastor, trusted Christ at the age of eight. Myself, I trusted Christ as Savior at the age of 11. Tim Ferguson, at the age of 14. Jeremy Horton, at the age of 15. Mark Robinson, our executive pastor, at the age of 16. Dave Robbins, at the age of 18. He's our youth pastor. And Greg, who's our worship pastor, at the age of 19. 90% of people trust Christ before the age of 20. And eight pastoral staff members, 100% of them, trusted Christ before the age of 20. Now, what does that tell you? What does it tell you when you look at how we stood up this morning? And what does it even tell you when you look at the pastoral team at Wildwood? What does that tell us? What does it tell us? Tell me, what does it tell us? What's it telling us? Give it to me. Yeah. Children and youth are wet cement and it's very, very strategic. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. You know what else it tells me? It tells me this. When you talk about future spiritual leaders and you talk about future pastoral staff who would be pastors anywhere, where are they emerging from at Wildwood? They're coming out of children's ministry and they're coming out of youth ministry. You know, God is going to call a certain number of us to have strategic spiritual leadership roles. Some of us are going to become pastors. And what this means is that statistically they're coming out of, they're in our children's ministry right now. And then our youth ministry right now. See, this, is get, this gets exciting because you begin to realize we have an opportunity here to influence the future. Children are wet cement. Children count. D.L. Moody, who is a great evangelist from a number of years ago, held an evangelistic meeting. And uh, at that evangelistic meeting, he was staying with a, a friend. And after the meeting, he came home and the friend said, what happened at the meeting? And he said, well, we had two and a half conversions. And the guy goes, what do you mean two and a half conversions? I mean, it, you mean you had two adults and and, and a child? He goes, oh, no, no, we had two children and we had one adult. He said the children came to Christ and they now have their whole life to follow Jesus and the adult really only had half of their life left to serve and follow the Savior. When we talk about developing a a children's ministry building, it goes way beyond bricks. It goes way beyond classrooms. It goes way beyond a building. We want to do this because we want to have an impact in those whose lives and hearts are wet cement. We're interested in the lives that can be touched and the lives that can be changed. That's what motivates us. That's the passion behind the vision. And you might ask yourself the question, well, you know, does, does really building a facility um, in which there will be ministry I mean, does it really make any difference? Is it really that significant? I want to tell you a little bit of a story that happened to me about a week and a half ago. Before last Sunday, I went back to our old property. 
which is over on Northeast 9th Street by Rock Creek Road where Northeast Baptist is. And what, what I went over there to do is to take a picture of the house. You've seen the picture of the house from last week where Wildwood really first began as its first formal church home. And um, we had some pictures of that, but I wanted to take some more pictures at 2431 Northeast 9th. And uh, so I drove over there in my car and hopped out with a camera, you know, and, and I took a little snapshot here and then walked over here and took a little snapshot and I took a third snapshot. And as I took the third snapshot, I could see the figure of someone walking from the church, main church building over to me. And, and I knew what they were wondering. They're thinking, who is this weird dude out here taking pictures of uh, part of our property and the house at 2431? And there's this mid-twenties year old young man who's walking towards me and uh, as he gets closer to me I say, hey, you're probably wondering what I'm doing here, huh? He goes, yep, that's exactly right. I am wondering what you're doing here. And I said, well, hi, my name is Bruce S. I'm the pastor at Wildwood and we, you know, we used to own this property but we, we sold it to you guys at, at Northeast Baptist. And then he, he shakes my hand and he says, well, hi, my name is Elvis Peacock. And, and I have to admit to you, I mean, this is what's going through my mind. He says, Elvis Peacock, and I'm going, yeah, right, you're Elvis Peacock. For those of you who don't remember Elvis Peacock, Elvis Peacock was a running back at the University of Oklahoma. And he was the Adrian Peterson of his day. And uh, I, I remember him very, very vividly because he was actually credited, Elvis Peacock, with the birth of Sooner Magic in Sooner Football. And it all really gets tracked back to the year of 1976 in Lincoln, Nebraska, where the Oklahoma Sooners were taking on the Nebraska Huskers. And Nebraska was ahead 17 to 14 in the game. And it was just three minutes left to go, and OU gets the ball deeper in their own territory. And they really have a couple of downs that fail. And as it was on third down, Dean Blevins, who'd come in, goes back to pass. And he throws a pass out into the flat to Steve Rhodes. And Steve Rhodes, just before he's tackled, sees a streaking Sooner coming around the sideline, who's Elvis Peacock, and he pitches the ball to Elvis Peacock. And Elvis Peacock goes storming all the way down the sideline. He gets knocked out at the three-yard line. And then, the very next play, Elvis Peacock crosses the goal line. And OU goes ahead, 21 to 17, with only 30 seconds left. I remember it very vividly. <laughs> very vividly. And so I'm thinking, yeah, you're Elvis Peacock, right. But I didn't say that to him. I said, well, you know, that's a pretty famous name in these parts. And he said, yeah, that's my dad. I was talking to Elvis Peacock Jr. And so I just got to chatting with him and he said, yeah, you know, I, I'm on staff here at uh, Northeast Baptist. I'm the youth pastor here. And I said, well, tell me a little bit more about that. He said, well, you know, I, I actually grew up in this church. And I said, really? And so I said to him, well, tell me about how, how did you come to trust Christ as your Savior? And he told me a very interesting story. He said, you know, when I was 11 years old, um, we had these portable white buildings that were Sunday school classrooms. Well, you know what those white buildings are? Those were buildings that were built by Wildwood people. We ran out of classroom space in our big educational house, you know, 
and we needed more classrooms. So Wildwood people, with their own hands, built three of these portable classrooms for extra classes. And of course, when we sold the property to Northeast Baptist, they, they inherited those three buildings. And he said, one, one, one day there was a Sunday school class in, in that white building, and he said, the gospel was presented to me. And uh, he said, I that day trusted in Christ as my Savior. And he went on, of course, to grow up there and eventually go on staff as the youth pastor. And, and I was just thinking, you know, man, that's unbelievable. I mean, you know, when we were out there as a church family building those portable buildings, we had no idea that God was going to call Elvis Peacock Jr. to Christ in one of those buildings, even after we'd sold it to another church. And we start talking about building a facility and building classrooms. Does it really make any difference? I think indeed it can because they are tools that God can use to make a difference. And I just want you to have a sense of the passion behind all this. And we want, we want to show you a video now. And it's a video that Scott Hodson helped us to put together, which just really shows the passion behind the need that we think that God has clarified to us in order to build this whole new initiative. So watch the video. Before kids turn 13, about half of all people who come to trust in Christ as their savior and their rescuer from sin and judgment do that before they become teens. Um, and then it, the numbers go up from there. When you look at the national statistic, 90% of Americans will trust Christ before their 20th birthday. Only when we get to heaven are we going to fully understand the ripple effect. Are we fully going to understand the geometric impact of these young lives. The success of our children's ministry only goes as far as our teachers. I'm extremely proud of the caliber of people that we've got. And I know where their heart is. I know how much they want children to be exposed to the good news of Jesus Christ. But Jesus did that, you know why? Because he loves each one of you and each one of us, everybody in this room, mommies and daddies and brothers and sisters, Jesus did that for you. One of the cool things is the workers and the teachers that we have in Children's Ministry Now, that's what they get excited about. They don't get excited about lights and music and color primarily. They get excited about the idea of passing on the gospel to be able to teach the gospel to children. And that's the kind of people that um, are drawn to work within Children's Ministry are people who want to take a four-year-old or a five-year-old and say, I want to explain the gospel to this young child in such a way that they will see their need for Jesus, place their faith in Jesus, and um, be able to understand the significance of that. Here's the question for all of you. Do you want to believe in Jesus? Yes. Yes. Raise yes. yes. your hands if you want to believe in Jesus. Do you want to believe in Jesus? I do. I do. And then they not only care about leading them to Christ, but what's really cool is they realize the importance of bi building biblical truth into them at a young age. That age is such a formative time. This is when we're essentially shaping the worldview of future adults. You know, God's Word is the simple, and, and that's the beauty of it, that even a four or five-year-old child can listen to the same story as it can teach an adult. Uh, because okay. he said he was what? The king. The king of the Jews. I like telling kids Bible stories. When you read it, a child, a Bible story, 
you can really feel God at work. In heaven. In heaven. Through that Bible story, you can feel the power of His Word as you talk. You see how God, you know, made a provision for just it's such a simple message that even children can understand. And it doesn't matter how old they are, it always applies to their lives. Church isn't as much fun if I don't get to see my little kids. I think what really says the most about our program is the kids want to come. We don't, we don't have to force the kids to come. They want to come. So I think that says everything. Going to Sunday school here definitely had a big impact on my life. When I was four, I decided to accept Christ as my Savior. It's really interesting to work with um, children that are about the same age as I was when I accepted Christ, just to see where they are and um, the different concepts they can grasp. Because looking back on my life, four seems like a really early time to decide to accept Christ, but talking to the different kids in the class, I can definitely see how they're learning and they know enough about Christ to truly make a decision for Him. I think the way that Wildwood's making a difference in our children's lives is uh, we're based on teaching God's Word, but there's no reason why we can't make it fun. In Camp Wildwood, we'll start off with some fun, fast music. Kids will be jumping around, doing something exciting. We'll have a skit. We'll have somebody come in who's funny, do a skit that's purposeful towards the teaching. And then we'll do a couple more songs, probably one that's a little slower and a little more typically driven towards worship and gearing them down for a teachable moment. We'll have a, a teacher in that'll speak for about 15 or 20 minutes, and then we'll have a closing song that gears them up for their next move in the rotation. out and see the kids doing the motions with you or raising their hands praising God while they're singing and when you're doing a slower song if some of them are closing their eyes and just worshiping him and just thinking about him and all that he's done for us it's very powerful to see those kids enjoying it I think God's Word it can be a blast it can it can be a lot of fun I'm going to take $500, okay? Not quite yet, Mr. Steve. This is my game. You guys think this is fair? Today's lesson is that Jesus' trial was unfair, and I want them to understand what it feels like in a situation that the circumstances are unfair. I want to make that real for them, the connection between what the Word is and how it applies to their life. Before I prepare the message, I begin the week before, and I begin to pray about it. You know who turned him over to the mom? Yeah. One of his friends. And if I know that he's guided me in this children's ministry endeavor, I know his words are being spread and what my goals for the children's ministry are being accomplished when I'm teaching a message and I try to uh, apply it to daily living and I, and I see those kids get quiet 
I know they're really thinking about what I'm talking about, the message that God has for them. I think that's the most exciting part for me. We're having an Awana Grand Prix, and we are so excited, so stoked. Awana's here at Wildwood is one of the oldest ministries um, that we have at Wildwood. James 210. But one of the one of the jobs that the commander has, I get to meet all of the new kids that come into Awana's. Part of being a first-time visitor, I share the gospel with them. This is the greatest job that you'll ever get to do. You get to share the gospel with every new child that comes in. We found out about Awana, and that's why we came to Wildwood was because of the children's programs. The younger you are, uh, if you can reach a child before they're teenagers, then they have such an advantage having Jesus in their heart going through those teenage years. And that's why I like doing Awana. It's the opportunity to uh, witness to young children so that they can have them in their heart real young. You go home and, and you know you've worked with these kids and they just love you. And You go home and that's a great feeling. Hebrews 13.5, go. Awana's is, is incredible because it, the kids get to learn the Bible. They get to learn the Word of God. It's the same messages, the same verses that Bruce teaches up in big church um, that the kids hear in Awana's. It's just not a program that they come through and, and go through and get done uh, and say their verse and go home. It's reaching them and I've even seen children bring their parents into church because of Awana. And uh, that's, that's really cool when all of a sudden the family is coming because a child came to Awana. Every year since I've been involved with the ministry at Wildwood, we have, have gone into another year saying we need more space for children's ministry. Well, the truth of the matter is we're just out of room. We are utilizing every room that we have on Sunday morning right now. We don't have any rooms available. And so we began to realize that if we don't make a plan for what we're going to do next, we're, we're virtually going to grind to a halt in terms of reaching families and reaching people for Christ. And we don't want to do that. Wildwood has a st very strong emphasis on children's ministry and has had it for a long time. But when someone just walks into our facility and just kind of looks around, they would never think as a visitor, this is a church that's dedicated to children's ministry. But one of the things that we've always had is that our physical space has always been shared space. So we've had rooms that have been used by children and adults, by children and youth. And um, while that is great for functionality, it also creates some difficulty um, when it comes to ministry specifically to kids. Adults and kids definitely have different needs for rooms. Some of the rooms are not really designed for, for children. The room I'm in right now, we don't have enough space to hang coats for children or they're too high for children to reach because adults use them. Uh, the chairs are too big and if you don't watch children, they'll flip out of them. Sometimes it would be nice if we could uh, decorate the room a little more uh, kid-friendly as far as the age group that we're working with. Kids like colorful, soft, friendly places and things that are made for adults just don't really turn on kids. And I think some of the classrooms are a little a little crowded. Some of, our, some of our classrooms, small rooms, have 20 plus kids in them, um, which is inadequate if the children are going to be here for three hours on a Sunday. I think it kind of stresses them out a little bit to be squashed in a little room. <laughs> 
So we have to share our classroom with another class, so part of it is, is kind of off limits for the time that we're in there and trying to keep four and five year olds from crossing this imaginary line is kind of hard to do, so it'd be nice to have one place that's just theirs. I look forward to a new room so that we can separate the sleeping children from the children who are crying. <laughs> we do a lot of rocking with, uh, with the babies, but we really don't have a, a, a set-aside place for the children to sleep. On Wednesday night, we have anywhere from 130 to 150 kids on Wednesday night just in, in Awanas, and that's in Covey, Sparks, and Truth and Training. That's not including the youth wave kids. Every single room in this church on the lower level is filled with kids. Uh, we run out of rooms. Uh, even Awana is growing, and would be nice to have a more kid-friendly building. Here we go, ready? On your mark, set, go! When it comes to our youth, uh, God has really grown that ministry over the last few years. This is probably going to be a trainer. You look up now, and there are more bodies in that room during the youth wave time on Sunday mornings than there are seats or physical space. But we've put our youth ministry in a box that is limiting their future growth. On Sunday morning, it was so jammed in there, we actually had a new family that came and their kids looked into that youth wave room and realized there didn't appear to be any seats anywhere and they actually turned around and left and that just sort of broke my heart because that's not really what we want to see happening we, we want to have adequate space to be able to reach the youth that need to be reached and uh, so it's very very critical in my mind that we develop the space for our children's ministry, which will give us some relief for our youth ministry and put us in a position to continue to grow. We were here when we did the uh, Vision 21 to move up into the other sanctuary, just to see the whole body come together and have the vision of what the upstairs sanctuary looks like. And we've really seen the church almost double uh, in, that, in that time frame. Um, I think this impact of doing the children's wing will have the same, if not a bigger impact. Uh, when we thought about Pass It On and the Pass It On initiative, we really wanted to focus not on blueprints and drawings and buildings. Um, buildings are a shell, they're a tool, uh, but that's not the substance of what we're about as a church. Uh, the substance of what we're about as a church is we're on a mission that God is working through us to share His love with our community. This is about an initiative to create more space for more people to tell children about Jesus Christ. What a wonderful opportunity we have to launch into the next faith challenge as a church, the next spiritual adventure as we look to develop a children's ministry building. And uh, I do want to put up a couple of the, the slides again of the facility. What you see there in that particular slide, remember the, the building would be built out back here uh, where our playground areas and our storage buildings are. And that's actually looking at the building from across the creek side looking back. And then on the other shot, which is the shot that you saw briefly in the video, this is, just shows the, um, 
the new rear entrance we're going to have uh, with a, a nice drive under area. It never rains in Oklahoma, does it? No. But when it would occasionally do that, we'd have the ability to unload and load people. And, and, and we just really are so excited about all of that. And uh, we're going to be having a, a number of home fellowship meetings, and, and we hope that you've been invited to one of those and that you'll come, because we will share a whole lot more of the detail about how we got to this design and what's involved in the design and how this is going to impact different ministries, how it's going to impact the youth ministry and so forth. Which, so you need to come and be a part of one of those. If you haven't been invited, we want you to come. There's a sign-up sheet on the table, information table out there with the... Uh, building brochures and the prayer guides and everything, and we'd love to have you sign up because we want you to be a part of what God is doing. We want you to be a part of the blessing of what God is all about. And we do want to show you a little bit of a timeline uh, slide that actually comes from our brochure just to let you understand how this is all going to be working. Last week on March the 30th, we had kickoff Sunday of the Pass It On initiative. And then April 6th to the 16th, for 10 days, we're going to have home meetings. Mark and I are going to be just a little bit busy as uh, we attend all 10 of those meetings coming up. And then as part of the prayer guide, we've given you some principles, some guidelines about how you can have a family conference, about how God might want your family to be involved in this whole process. And there's, that'll be going on from April 20 to 26. And then April 27th is Commitment Sunday. We're asking everyone, and I know some of us don't make very much money. We're thinking, oh, goodness, uh, God can't use anything that I could give. Listen, God will use everything each one of us can do to make this a reality. And it's on the 27th we're going to come back as a church family and bring our commitments, our three-year um, commitments that we're willing to do as God leads us and guides us to make this ministry vision a reality. And again, I want to remind you that what we don't want to do, as Lyle said, is to drop the baton. And as Wildwood has passed the baton several times over several decades, we want to be the group that continues to grow the ministry. And then on uh, May the 4th will be Celebration Sunday as we will share with you the amount that God has moved you and me to invest in this. And then our hope is that by late summer, um, maybe early fall we could begin construction and then move into the new building. But I do want to remind you also of the prayer guides, and if you haven't gotten one of these, they're available at the doors and also on the table. But don't miss the blessing of this, because this is very well written, and every day uh, there's an area there of focus to pray about, like today's. Um, prayer is on impact on families, and it, it quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. And here's part of the prayer request for today. Pray that Wildwood parents would teach God's Word to their children when they sit and walk and lie down. That's just as life happens that we as parents would be teaching our kids. And then to pray that Wildwood would be effective in, in uh, teaming with parents to help them to teach their children the ways of of the Lord. And we want you to be praying this. There's, there's just great stuff in here. Uh, tomorrow, the prayers on impact on families. So don't miss part of the blessing of being engaged in this through the prayer guides that we have. But what we really do believe at the core of our being is that greater things are yet to come for Wildwood. We really believe that. And, and, and we believe that God has been leading us 
and God wants to work inside of us. And God wants to do something maybe that's a little bigger than what we are right now. And that's a good thing for him to do that. As we get ready to close this morning, I just really wanted to pray the prayers uh, that are in the prayer guide for today. So let's just bow as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you for all that you've done. And man, we, we couldn't even begin to talk about all that you've done since 1968 through the body of believers known as Wildwood. But we're thankful that you've done a lot. And we know that you want to do even more and that you want to touch lives. And we would pray, Father, that Wildwood parents would teach God's word to their children as they sit down and as they lie down and as they rise up in life, just as life happens and as parents, Wildwood parents would teach biblical principles to their kids. And then, Father, we want to pray that Wildwood would be very effective in teaming with parents to help them to teach their children the ways of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that you will work in our midst and that you will work in our hearts individually and that you will work in our hearts collectively and that we will see you do some great things that will open up doors of ministry to Wildwood so that we might shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in the world. And we pray you do a whole lot more than we just asked. For the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.